and we just receive it. We say thank you. And, Father, we just ask you tonight to just give us revelation and understanding, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive, not only in this room, but throughout the building, Father, that the children with the youth, Father, we just thank you for ministering by your Spirit in every area. Father, just open our hearts. Father, I thank you that seed's going to go in tonight and that will bear fruit that will remain. And we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight we're going to talk again. I, I know. You're all thinking, how much more? Well, a little more about a healthy soul tonight, about who we are in Christ and the things that we've been learning. And last week we're talking from the book of Ephesians. And last week we talked about that Paul makes four emphasis in the book of Ephesians um, for things that will help us in our soul identities, our spirit identities of who we are, who God's made us to be. Not who we're trying to be, but who he already declares that we are. But you know what? It's the truth that you know that sets you free. And the enemy wants us to stay ignorant. You know what the Bible says, I would not have you ignorant you know, of Satan's device. We're not to be ignorant. We need to know uh, what God has, who God is, and so in, in us and what he's given us. So we're talking about those things that Paul has written in the book of Ephesians uh, under the anointing, of course, of the Holy Spirit. Um, and last week we talked, and it was so lengthy, I just talked about that. It was about... Uh, The first emphasis was about our position in Christ, our identity. Brother Kenneth Hagin wrote a book called In Him. You know, that we are in Him and in Christ, and that's who we are, and that is our position. We're seated in heavenly places with Him. And so last week we talked about that, and tonight we're going to cover the next three, by God's grace. And uh, the things that affect our soul identity and who we were. You know, I've told you a lot of times that... um, You know, I was saved in reality, but this hadn't caught up with what was on the inside, and I need my mind renewed. And I tell you what, Andrew Womack, I don't know if y'all watching, but I encourage you. Ronnie Dirk teaches discipleship classes every Sunday morning at 930, and you could attend that class. It's Andrew Womack, and we don't lift up Andrew, although God is using him mightily to disciple the body of Christ. And that's what Andrew's been talking on, the emphasis of discipling. And we are a discipling church. We believe in equipping the saints. That's part of the vision, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. And Ronnie brings discipling message through Andrew Womack's ministry every week in in uh, the fellowship hall at 930. And your kids could sit and eat and you could go over to the class and eat. And just, it's, you know, it's that truth that we know and he's bringing. We bring when we minister and preach and the, and the Sunday school teachers bring the truth of God's word so that we're set free and we know who we are so that when the enemy tries stuff on us, He doesn't get anywhere with us. He gains no ground. He doesn't get a foothold. And if he gets a little toe on, we recognize it and push him off. So that's why it's so important to just take in the word and to just let the Lord minister the truth of his word. And we, y'all, we have so much available to us now. My goodness, with the Internet and all that, wow. I mean, you can have the Word 24-7 if you want it, and it is just amazing. We are truly blessed. Tonight, I want to start with the second emphasis that Paul made in the book of Ephesians. And if you want to go there, Ephesians chapter 1, 
verses 19 through 21. And uh, the second emphasis is that we have a superior Savior. You know, some of the songs we were singing, I thought, that's right. You know, how great is our God. And the things I'm going to talk about tonight, those songs are coming right along with it, that we have a superior Savior. You know, the enemy wants you to think that he is bigger and greater and more powerful than God is. That's so dumb. But we fall for it sometimes. You know how I know? Because we get worried about stuff. Or we get in fear. And when we do that, do you realize we're magnifying the problem and we're saying, well, the enemy's bigger than our God. I mean, that's just the truth of that. But we can pull that down and exalt the Lord because we have a superior Savior. And so I want to read Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. And Paul's been praying uh, ahead of this that, that the eyes of our hearts would be flooded with light so that we can know some things. So you know what? You can take those scriptures and you can pray that God will grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation of insight into the mysteries and knowledge of him. That's a good prayer to pray. Paul prayed it. And we need to take that prayer and pray it for ourselves. Don't just assume. Say, God, ask you to give me this. I ask you to do this. And it goes on to say, so that your eyes of your heart can be flooded with light, so that you can know, verse 19, and understand what is the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his power in and for us who believe as demonstrated in the workings of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And then he seated him at his own right hand in heavenly places. It goes on to say in verse 21, far above all rule, all authority and power and dominion, and far above every name that is named, above every title that can be conferred, not only in this age and in this world, but also in the age and the world which are to come. We have a superior Savior. He's far above Anything that can come against us, anything the enemy can try, he's far above. You need to remind yourself about that. So the first thing I want to talk about is that we have a superior Savior. The people that uh, Paul was talking to in the book of Ephesians, they were primarily brand new believers at this church and in, 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 uh, when he writes to them. And they had little or no understanding of the history of Israel or the Jewish people. They didn't grow up hearing about the Red Sea parting, how God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, or how one day the Messiah would come and would, to save them. They were Gentiles. They were non-Jews. And prior to following Jesus, they'd been born again. But prior to following Jesus, they would have been involved maybe in the magical, superstitious, mystical environment of the day is what these Ephesians, that would have been what their life would have been like. And they would have been <clears throat> accustomed to trying to make uh, sense out of life with, you know, materialism or just logic, what their carnal minds could come up with, with human ideas, kind of like we did, or I did before I was saved. You know, you just try to figure it out. And so that's what they would have done. They weren't looking for the Messiah. They were Gentiles. They were non-Jews. And they were looking at life <clears throat> in a way that can't produce confidence, <clears throat> excuse me, or a sense of identity because 
The outlook that they had was as limited and fallible as our own humanity. They were putting their trust in themselves, basically. Or in just some superstitious, magical thing that they thought had some kind of power. These Ephesians had turned now from following their own conclusions and superstitions, and now they're following Jesus, like us. How many of us know we had a thing or two to learn? (laughs) You know, receiving him, being born again is the first step. Go. We're on go. (laughs) And then it goes from there. We have a lot to learn. The journey is amazing. Paul wrote to let them know that the way they functioned before was not going to be the way that they would function with Jesus. And Paul wrote to tell them that Jesus is bigger and he's better than all those other gods and beliefs. He's telling them you've got a superior Savior. You're following someone who can not only save you but who wants to save you and who will save you. And Paul told them here in Ephesians, we just read it, That God's power is immeasurably great. That he is working on our behalf and that Jesus is seated in heavenly places above any and every power and authority. And God wants us to understand how great he is because his greatness has far-reaching implications for us today. For them, for us. It was written for them and it was written for us. And when we see him for who he really is, when we start to grasp how far-reaching and overwhelming his strength is, his power is, his greatness is, we can't help but face life with greater confidence. When you put your confidence in God, doesn't it just, you just go into rest, you go into peace, and you just know, I'm in God's car, he's got this. He's going to take me where he wants me to go and it's going to be good. This great God is on our side. You're not trying to get him on your side. He's already on your side. We're not subject to the same chance and fate of every every other human being on the earth, or as they call it, luck. We're not subject to that. We've been transformed from the kingdom of fear, self-effort, and darkness into the kingdom of light. We're not in the kingdom of darkness anymore. The Bible says we have been translated, transformed, moved from there to here. Did you move yourself? No. When you're born again, you're moved. Easiest move you'll ever make in life. (laughs) We follow a God who is far above all authority and power, far above every name that is named, every name of every disease. His name is greater. And what happens at that name? Every knee must bow. The need of cancer must bow. The need of poverty must bow. The need of mental illness must bow at that name, the name of Jesus. He is far above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. There will never be a greater name than the name of Jesus. And this is the God that we follow. And we are safe and we're secure in following him because he's reliable and he's trustworthy. The enemy will tell you that he's not, but you better read what the truth says. You better decide to believe what he says. Let the enemy get you off with his lies. Believe the word. We can find rest and peace and ease 
in him. We will live differently once we understand this, once we know this. It will change the way we see ourselves and our futures. You know, a lot of times if, the, if I, I start to get fearful or I'm thinking about something, the Lord said, well, now, uh, didn't I bring you through that? Well, how would you get to here? Well, how would you get through that? Did you figure all that out? Did you make a plan, a one, two, three, and that brought you through? No, I didn't. I don't even know how he's done it. You know, I just say get in his car and go. He'll figure it out. He'll get you there. I like that. He'll get you there. Just let him get you there. And he'll give you a few. He'll tell you a few things along the way. But he'll get you there. We will begin to expect good things. Because we have a good father. A good, good father. Because the God who rules the universe is with us. And he is for us. This goes beyond optimism. This is trusting a real and personal God, our Father. A God who is good even when bad things happen. He told us in his word that in this world you'll have tribulations. But he said, but be of good cheer. I've deprived it of power to harm you. And so when it tries to come, you just get in him. That's who I am, Lord. This is trying to harm me, but I'm trusting you. A God who is trustworthy, even when life feels uncertain, is who we serve and who we walk with. No circumstance, no obstacle changes the fact that we have a reliable God and a superior Savior. Don't get distracted by the circumstances. It's like the waves in the boats, kind of what Alan started talking about tonight, what the Lord was giving him. Those waves and that wind was designed to get their eyes off of who was in the boat. And we all go through that. We all do. We're human. And sometimes it takes us a minute to get steady, to get back on that rock, to know. And that's okay. David encouraged himself in the Lord. Encourage yourself in the Lord. When the enemy's trying to rock our boat, just begin to encourage yourself in the Lord. Begin to magnify him. Begin to remind yourself of who he is. And he's greater than this. And you may not know when or how, but he'll get you through this somehow. And he'll show you the way. He'll show you the way. So it, Paul's first emphasis that we just, that the very first one was, again, our identity and who we are in Christ. Who he's made us to be. And then the second one we just covered is that we have a superior savior who is superior to anything that might come in our lives. And the third one that shapes our soul identity, our spirit identity, who we are in Christ, is that of our great salvation, so great a salvation, the Bible says. So let's look in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. It starts out telling us who we were. And you he made alive when you were dead, slain by your trespasses in sin. And then verse 3. Among these, we as well as you once lived and conducted ourselves in the passions of our flesh. That's how we lived our lives. Our behavior was governed by our corrupt and sensual nature. Obeying the impulses of the flesh and the thoughts of the mind. Our cravings dictated by our senses and our dark imaginings. We were then by nature children of God's wrath. That's who we were. 
And we were heirs of his indignation like the rest of mankind. Verse 4. But God, so rich is he in his mercy, because of and in order to satisfy the great and wonderful and intense love with which he loved us. Verse 5. Even when we were dead by our own shortcomings and our trespasses, he made us alive together in fellowship And in union with Christ, he gave us the very life of Christ himself. The same new life with which he quickened him. That's what's in you. Did you know that? That's what's in you. For it is by grace, his favor and mercy, which you did not deserve, that you are saved. You're delivered from judgment and you're made partakers of Christ. Salvation. What a deal. What a great salvation we have. Paul starts out in verse 1 showing us where we were so that we can fully grasp who we are now and what he's done in our lives and how far we've come. That immediate transformation. In reality, we were dead and we were lost and we were helpless. And then God found us and he completely changed us. In the blink of an eye, we're born again. The night I was saved, I'm sure every one of you can say it, something changed. You might not have known everything here. I sure didn't. But when he came in, he made all things new. We are new people, born anew from the inside out. We are not remodeled. We're not whitewashed versions of our old selves. Our spirits are born again, made brand new. Isn't that exciting? Made brand new. You know, people want a new start in life. They want a new chance. They want a new beginning. This is the new beginning. I tell you what, being born again, life begins at being born again. Verse 4 started, couldn't be clear, it all starts with, but God. In other words, God made all the difference. Our lives were split in two like history itself, before Jesus and after Jesus. I know my life is. I like after Jesus better. Anybody else? We used to be dead. Now we're alive. We used to follow the passions and desires of our flesh. Now we follow Jesus. We used to be children of wrath. And now we're seated next to Jesus, adopted into God's family for eternity. Don't you wish you'd have known this all your life? But it's okay. Better late than never. What a life. What a life in God. But God. That's the foundation of the gospel. It's the greatest revelation we ever need of God's love and care and concern for us. But God. God found us. He saved us. He took the initiative. He provided the solution. Just like everything in our lives when we give him the opportunity. Let's look at verses 8 and 9 in in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, For it is by free grace that you are saved. It is by free grace that you're delivered from judgment and made partakers of Christ's salvation through your faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves. It's not of your own doing. It came not through your own striving, 
But it is the gift of God. That's how you got it. And not because of works, not the fulfillment of the law's demands, lest anybody should boast or brag. It's not the result of what anyone can possibly do. So no one can pride himself in it or take glory to himself. Paul was reminding us and these brand new believers that their souls have been saved and their salvation was not in jeopardy. Back when they served idols, they had good reason to fear because idols couldn't promise them salvation. There was no assurity. But Jesus is different. Our salvation and their salvation is secure because, and it is sure because it's founded in Jesus' finished work on the cross. That's what makes it a done deal, a sure thing. It is by grace. Through faith. Our hard work, good deeds, can never save us. They don't improve us. Our salvation started with God, continues with God. It will be completed through God. I wish I'd have known that when I first started because, man, I was trying to be good. I didn't know God wanted to just work it out through me. I was really trying to help. God told him one day, I said, okay, this is hard. This is really hard. You know, I was just trying to work out my own salvation in the sense of making myself what I ought to be. Well, all the while, God wanted to do it by his spirit and by my leaning on him. You know, if it's not our doing that God has saved, then it's not our doing or lack of doing that can make us unsaved. Salvation levels all humanity It is by grace and grace alone. It is a gift of God. It's a gift. It's free. What good news that we have to give others. We need to stop being our own worst enemies. Our sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. We aren't Christians because we live like Christians. We are Christians because we have accepted the gift of salvation. That's why we're Christians. We have come to know God on an experiential and real level. That's why we're Christians, because we're born again, born of the Spirit of God. That's what makes us a Christian. I thought about this today. I don't know that word, just Christian. I I can't remember what I was listening to or what I was thinking about. I, I don't know. I don't really know. But I just thought, the enemy wants to close our mouths. He wants us to be timid. But we need to shout it from the rooftops that we are Christians, that we belong to Christ, and we walk in this world as his representatives. The enemy wants to shut that and make us just be nice. And you can be nice, but people need to know that we are Christians and we belong to Christ and that he loves them and has good and wants to help them. Following Jesus does produce genuine changes in our lives. It definitely did in mine, and I know you all could all say the same thing. Being born again, following him produces changes in your lives. But our outward behavior and our internal emotions might not always measure up to the who we are on the inside. That spirit, soul, and body. 
Who we are on the inside is the born-again part. And sometimes, unfortunately, what comes out on the outside doesn't always line up with who we are, but it doesn't make us any less who we are, even though sometimes things on the outside we get in the flesh or we just make mistakes or we just do that. I wish I would have known that. Because every time I did that, I thought, oh, I've got to pray the prayer of salvation again, you know. Just thought I had to get born again, 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 again. You know, I didn't know. But, man, it's just so freeing. And it's not greasy grace, as people say. It's not, oh, you get to do what you want. I'm talking about Jesus followers. I'm talking about following what he says. I'm talking about wanting to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer only. I'm talking about uh, a disciple of Christ and one who wants all that he has. And not just, uh, what, what do they say, you're married to him, you don't want to just date him. You know what I'm saying? And I don't say that to condemn us, but I, I say it to uh, separate a casual relationship or whatever to to following. If you, uh, oh my gosh, if you don't know where you're going, <laughs> you know, like you're driving somewhere, like with Alan, I go somewhere and I don't know, and I'm following him. Do you think my eyes come off of his vehicle? No, they do not. You know, oh my goodness. We, our son Chad, our middle son and his wife got the, anyway, got the idea. Not totally sure where it came from, but anyway, to move to Colorado for a year. And so no, I'm sure it was the Lord. He worked all, he works all things together for good. But anyway, and so Alan and Chad and they're pulling the car. They're in the Penske yellow rental truck in front of us and I'm driving our car with the two children and the cat. In the other stuff in our car. And I'm telling you, I felt like the Penske yellow back of that truck was just imprinted into my brain. I mean, when I would close my eyes, I could still see the yellow Penske truck because I don't know where I'm going and I'm following it. And so we need to follow Jesus. Get the point? We don't really, you think you know where you're going? You don't. Neither do I. He'll show us, then you know, when his light shines, then you know. But then we get confident, we walk along, and then we fall off, and we go, "Uh uh-oh, I I lost sight of the truck, better get my eyes open again, we lost sight of Jesus. Follow him. Realize you don't know where to go. You think you do, but just ask for his direction. The Bible says every day, if you acknowledge him in all your ways, he'll direct your path. And he'll make them straight and plain. So following Jesus produces changes. We are all in a process and we're all on a journey. Don't compare yourself to anybody else. Please, that's a trap of the enemy. Tell him to shut up if he tries to make you compare yourself. Well, well, I wish I thought, well, I ought to be like them. Well, I ought to whatever. Just be quiet. Tell him to be quiet and just say, Jesus, make me look more like you. Make me look more like you. Because at times we won't look like new people and we won't feel like new people. We might be like Jesse Duplantis having to fit our carnality. Anybody had one of those? Mm-hmm. Anybody had more than one? Today, maybe. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we have them. But hey, don't get off the path. Don't get off. Just stay on. He's fixing it. He's going to fix you. 
Even though we don't look like or act like new people all the time, it doesn't change the reality that we are new people. We are in him. And that is who we are. And God knew what we would act like sometime, but he still loves us and wanted us and wanted to give his life for us. Our spirits have been born again. So why is salvation so great? Because it's a gift. It's free. Because it's God's doing and not our doing. Aren't you glad? We have so great a salvation because we have so great a God. The first chapter and the first chapter and a half of Ephesians describes the stance of the believer in Jesus, our identity, the superiority of our Savior, and the significance of our great salvation. And then in the then the letter shifts focus to the fourth emphasis that I want to talk about that shapes our soul, our spirit identities. And it's the community that God has placed us in, the church. And I want to talk about that. Remember that Paul, I told you, was writing this letter to Gentile new believers. They were non-Jews, so they were originally the outside looking in, like us. You know, I had a dream before I was saved, talking about the outside looking in. And I told you all this, but the Lord brought it to me, so I'm going to tell you again. And I had this dream because my, uh, my friend Carrie was praying for me, I know, and probably some others that knew the Lord. But uh, I had a dream. And I didn't know this stuff. So anyway, this was how I'm going to just tell you my dream. Pat Boone, y'all remember you old, oh, people old or whatever, or the Pat Boone, you know, is Christian. And then there was a lady named Anita Bryant. She'd been, what was she, Miss USA, I think, Anita. And she was a Christian. Somehow I knew that. I guess. I don't know. But in my dream, Pat Boone and Anita Bryant and just other people I didn't know were just dancing and circling, like, you know, like just rejoicing. I mean, I would say that word now. All I could say back then at the dream, they were just dancing around in a circle and so happy. And in my dream, it was like the sky was lit up bright, like a lightning day, a lightning night. You know how when it just goes, 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 and it's light, light, light. And the sky was lit up. And in my dream, I knew Jesus was coming. Now, in this head, this church head, I didn't know that. But in my dream, I knew Jesus was coming. But you know what else I knew? I knew I wasn't ready. And I knew I wasn't going. And I didn't feel condemned, but I felt located. And and this was the other thought I had, that that was the real in crowd. They were the insiders. What they had and who they were, I just cannot tell you. It, it like located me spiritually. I didn't feel condemned when I woke up, but I realized uh, I'm missing something in my life. <laughs> Something's wrong, you know. And it began, it began a journey before I was saved of God working in my heart. And so I tell people, don't give up on your loved ones. Keep praying for them. You could not tell one thing that I'd had one godly dream, you'd have never been able to tell it. But God began to work on my insides, beginning to change my thought patterns, beginning to change my desires, beginning to change my focus. And it was through the prayers of others that I began to have God dreams and God-influenced thoughts by the Holy Spirit. So don't give up on anybody, no matter what you see, because God can influence. And so... At that point in my life, I was on the outside looking in as well. And I was seeing the Christians, and they were rejoicing, and I was just watching them. 
I didn't know Jesus was coming back. I didn't know that the sky would light up as far as the east. I didn't know that. But here they were looking from the outside in. But the instant they put their faith in Jesus, they became part of the family. They were set in a community of believers. On a spiritual level, they went from being outsiders to being insiders, just like us. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2 in verses 16 through 18. It says, And he designed God to reconcile to God both Jew and Gentile, united in a single body by means of his cross. That was God's plan to bring the Jew and the Gentile to make one new man. United in a single body by means of his cross, thereby killing the mutual enmity and bringing the feud to an end. And he came and he preached the glad tidings of peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For it is through him that we both, whether far off or near, now have an introduction, now have access by one Holy Spirit to the Father so that we are able to approach him. Therefore, you are no longer outsiders excluded from the rights of citizens, but now you share citizenship with the saints of God, God's own people, consecrated, set apart for himself, and you belong to God's own household. I want to read it in the Message Bible. You belong to God's household. We've been set in a community by God. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace, and that was the end of hostility. Christ came and preached peace to you outsiders and peace to us insiders. He treated us as equals and so made us equals. Through him we both share the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. We are made one in Christ. Once you put your faith in Jesus, you're no longer an outsider. You're part of God's family. And that includes Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Ruth, David. (laughs) It includes all the heroes of faith. You belong. And God wants you to know that you don't have to do anything to belong. You're already part of his family because of your faith in Jesus. That's what makes you belong. You've been accepted, and your acceptance is unconditional and irrevocable. Unconditional. You are accepted by God. You're not trying to measure up. That will shape and define your soul identity, your spirit identity, more than almost anything else. It's an unconditional relationship. Too many times as Christians, we imply that people have to first behave and believe the right way before they can belong to our communities. And we don't do it on purpose, but our actions and our reactions, when we see their flaws, leave little doubt that they are outsiders. We do that sometimes. But that's not the spirit of Jesus. He came to break down walls and barriers, not build more of them. He came to level the playing field. I'm not talking about immigration. (laughs) It's about the walls that the Lord breaks down. With Jesus, we belong. Before we've done anything right, that night I received him, that night when she said, what do you want from God? And I said, peace. He came in. I belonged at that moment. 
I hadn't done one right thing. Did a lot more wrong things before I'd done any right things. But I belonged right at that moment before I'd done one thing right. Before we have all our doctrine figured out, before we get our lives cleaned up, we're his and he is ours. Isn't that good news? We're new creatures in Christ. Our spirits are made new. We have new identities. Hey, nobody can steal that identity. Nobody can steal your identity in Christ. The enemy would like to. He wants to lie to you that you don't have it, but it's a lie. And as a result of that newness in our identities, we start to believe the right things. We learn a bit of doctrine. We get to know the Bible. might take a while, but the Holy Spirit teaches us. And he leads us into the knowledge of God. It's a journey. And we're all on different journeys. And we don't need to be judging somebody else's journey. Pray. If you see somebody struggling, pray. The Bible says, in the spirit of meekness, go to them or pray for them. But help them. Don't look down on them and say, well, you know what they're doing. Man, you know, who needs the hammer on your head? Ultimately, we end up behaving or acting according to our beliefs. Our lives demonstrate real, lasting change. Not because we're so self-disciplined, because we're not, although we would like to be. But because our relationship with Jesus, supernaturally produces the change. It's that relationship. You hang around him, and he just you just begin to look like him. You begin to act like him. You read his love letters to you. You know, you ever been around people in the natural? I, we're going to go to uh, uh, my great niece's wedding. That's the wedding that Alan's going to do. And... They're in East Texas, and they have more of a drawl than we do, and they talk a little slower and a little more drawn out. I find when I come from there, I talk a little more drawn out till I get down here again, and then I kind of speed up slightly. And so, you know, so when you hang around people sometimes, you begin acting. You're not trying to. You're not thinking, oh, I like that. I'm going to copy that. You just hang around them, and you start doing You ever have a who, – who was it? Um, I know. Just at the funeral. We were out at some people's house, and, and the lady that owns the house, it's Ann Alexander, the Alexander photography lady, and, and she said to me, you know, man, your, your, your niece Carrie, I have another niece, I have several, and she said, it's my brother Rome's, sorry, and she said, you really remind me of y'all's mannerisms are similar. But see, we're family and we're around each other, and so our mannerisms, because we hang and so your manners. So just think if you hang with Jesus, what you're going to act like. You're going to act like him. You read what he says, it's going to get in you because it's living and alive and it produces and he performs his word in you. And, it, and you just look like him. You're not trying to look like, well, I'm going to try to look like Jesus today. Just hang around with him. You'll look like him. I don't say, well, I'm going to try to look like my niece today. And she's sure in saying she's going to try to look like me because she's Patrick's age. <laughs> but the point is, if you hang around, you might start acting like each other sometime. And you'll act like Jesus. Hang with him. 
The biblical progression is first grace, then faith, and then works. That's the divine order. He poured out his grace. We receive it through faith, and that relationship with him begins to produce it out through us. And the good works or anything we do, people will say, oh, well, this or that to me. I'll say, I'm going to tell you one thing. If you see anything good come out of me, it's because of Jesus and anything that he's done in me. And that's the truth. And I don't say it like this false humility. I mean it. I, if anything good comes out, it's only because of him. Or anything you see you might like, you just go ahead and tell him, well, thanks, Lord, because that's the divine order. Anything that comes out, comes out because it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit anyway. It's all Him. God gives us His grace and we respond in faith and eventually our faith and relationship with God produces a healthy, holy lifestyle. You know, Al and I used to go to the dances every weekend. If you go every weekend, that's fine. But you know what? Once we got saved, the Holy Spirit began to tell us, that is not healthy for you. That's not good for you. And hey, it wasn't. Like to wreck our marriage and not dancing in of itself, but relationships with people that did not know God and, and again, I've got friends and love them to this day. But, you know, stuff begets stuff. Ungodly stuff begets ungodly stuff if you're in certain places and in certain atmospheres. And so when we got saved, God began to call us out some of those dark places and we still loved people and we still hung but our desires begin to change and we begin to go another direction he told us to pour out the cherry vodka that was in our little pantry out it went did i miss it no he just said pour it out i always tell people let the holy spirit work on people nobody told us we're saved but nobody told us well you know you need to quit drinking you need to quit doing that you better stop that you better stop this you better dress like this you better do that (laughs) when did we become god the holy spirit if you will walk with him he will do the work that's needed for your life That's what was needed for our lives, to begin to walk in these changes. We didn't miss anything. You may say, oh, y'all didn't have no more fun. Honey, we just began to live. Oh, my gosh. We just began to have peace and joy in our lives. Oh, my. Because God was in charge and God was leading. And we were hanging with him. And he's just telling us stuff. He leads you into triumph in life. Paul wanted these converts to know, and God wants us to know, that when we receive Jesus as Savior, we are instantly part of his family. We're surrounded by an immeasurable, uncountable family of Jesus' followers. And I can't wait to meet all of them. How about you? You know how fun it is when you go to concerts with just a massive amount of Christians or a Spurs game, family night. No, I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, but, you know, just, just, I mean, and it's great when we're together. This is great. But, man, when you just, as far as I can see, you know, it, people that are Jesus' fault. We're all family. It's awesome. We are in that uncountable family of Jesus' followers who love, support, and believe in us. That's what we're to be for each other. The church is a family. God is building a home for hurting humanity. 
where everyone is welcome. Everyone's welcome. He is creating a community where everyone is loved, where everyone loves, where we serve each other, where we weep with each other, where we laugh with each other, where we do life with each other. The church is a safe place where we can be ourselves, even in our faulty states. We can come together and find healing, love, reconciliation, and forgiveness. In Jesus, we are no longer alone. Through Jesus, our spirits are made new. We are redefined and reborn. God has solved the problem of sin and he's given us all what we need to have a healthy soul identity. The four emphasis again in Ephesians, the four things that Paul emphasizes that are so important for us to know who we are in our soul identity, our spirit identities, what God's done is, number one, that we have our identities set firmly in Jesus, the source and the definition of who we really are. You want to know the enemy starts ragging on you? Open the book of Ephesians. Nope, this is who God says I am. This is who I really am. Number two, we have a Savior who is superior to all authority and power, and he declares that we are blessed and approved. See that big stamp pow, right on your forehead. Approved. We have a salvation that is great, that is complete, that is final, and that is free. And number four, we have a community of Jesus followers where we belong even if we don't believe or behave exactly right all the time. So in light of all that God has given us, we can face the future with a new security and confidence. In Jesus, you're a new you. And you know what? We are destined to thrive in him. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul being faithful to write down the things that you wanted us to know today. They were written for our instruction, Timothy said. They're written, Paul says to Timothy, they're written for our instruction, for our encouragement for us to know truth as well. So when we read these things, Lord, we can just see ourselves just like with these believers, the Ephesians, and we're just sitting there at your feet through Paul and you're teaching and you're sharing and you're telling us who we are and what we have and what you've done. And we receive it and we say yes and amen and we say thank you in Jesus' name.